Good morning. Oh, hot. Christ Central. As Daniel said, my name is uh, Timothy, one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Just to clarify, uh, Glenn is not advocating for 5 a.m. phone calls. Please don't do that. Um, just want to make sure that was clear. It is my privilege to share with you this morning God's Word. We're continuing in our study of Galatians on entitled Centered Faith. This morning we're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. I'd ask that if you're able, if you would stand out of reverence as we read God's holy word. The Apostle Paul says these words in Galatians 6, beginning in verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but his word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, and that you would allow me, your servant, to get out of your way, that you might bring your truth to us, your people and that we might be transformed through encountering you, the living God. I ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have been with us throughout the duration of our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians, you have certainly heard that phrase many times. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. A phrase that really is at the heart of the whole letter. It's Paul's bold declaration that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. And it's the glorious news that that faith in Jesus alone yields a relationship with God. Eternal life. It yields everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The heart of Paul's letter, but also, interestingly enough, the title of a book that I read in seminary. A book by Tully and Tavigian. Uh, who some of you may know is the grandson of Reverend Billy Graham. And at the time of his writing that book, Tullian was the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, a renowned megachurch in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He was really in the height of his career as a minister. And then in 2015, just two years ago, it was discovered that Tullian was having an affair. He's being unfaithful to his wife, and as a result, Tullian lost his wife. 
He lost his job. And ultimately, he lost his platform for ministry. He lost everything. And I find it interesting that a person who so championed this phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, experienced such profound moral failure. It makes you wonder if Tullian maybe didn't finish Paul's letter. Maybe he didn't get all the way to chapter 6. Because here in chapter 6, Paul addresses the gross danger hidden within this doctrine, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that danger being that we can begin to think, in light of this doctrine, that our actions don't really matter. Or maybe said differently, we can begin to believe that our choices don't have consequences. And Paul's point here in chapter 6 is that although God's favor towards you, your eternal salvation depends solely upon the work of Christ, Jesus plus nothing. However, at the same time, your actions absolutely do matter. Your choices most certainly have consequences. So as we come near to the conclusion of Paul's letter, our job this morning is to unpack what Paul has to say about the importance of choices and the consequences that they bear. And there are really two parts to Paul's message here in the first half of chapter 6. First, there's a warning. And then second, there is a charge. So let's begin this morning by looking at the warning, and then we'll conclude by looking at the charge that he gives. Look again with me now, starting in verse 7. Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Whatever one sows, that will also reap. Now, I'm not a gardener, but my wife's family to this day lives on a working farm. Uh, they used to farm many, many acres of tobacco. Uh, however, today, much of the land is leased out, uh, but the family still maintains this gigantic garden. Uh, I would call it a farm. They call it a garden. And the garden provides vegetables for the whole family for the whole year. I have to confess, I really don't like squash. I really do not like squash. It doesn't matter how you cook it, I do not like it. And yet every single year, Stacy's grandfather, we call him Pop Pop, he insists on planting a whole load of squash in the garden. Clearly he has never asked my opinion on the matter. But sometimes when I'm feeling bold, I will mosey over to the garden, and when nobody's looking, I will walk over to the squash plants, and I'll walk over to the squash seeds, and I'll look down at them, and I'll then begin to plead with them. I'll say, please, please do not produce squash this year. Anything but squash, tomatoes, corn, watermelon, anything, please, please for my sake, do not produce squash. Do it for me. But what I've discovered over time that it doesn't matter how much I beg and plead, it doesn't matter how heartfelt my desires are, every single year those squash seeds produce squash. What an outrage, right? Now certainly it's quite silly for me to plead 
with squash to produce something other than squash. But the point that Paul is making here is that we actually use the same ridiculous logic in our own lives each and every day. We assume that we can plant a certain seed and harvest something else. What do I mean? Let me make it plain for you. We assume that we can eat fatty foods and not exercise and that our bodies won't suffer. We assume that we can sleep for five hours at night and that we will still be able to function the next day. We assume that we can drink six cups of coffee each and every day and not get addicted to caffeine. Or maybe those are just things that I assume, and that's my personal confession, but let me maybe make this a little more serious, a little closer to home. We assume that look at that pornographic website, it won't actually affect our heart. It won't actually affect our marriage. We assume that if we have a couple more drinks, it won't affect our judgment and cause us to make bad decisions. We assume that if we cut corners at work, that we won't get caught, that it won't really have any bearing on the business or our relationship with our co-workers and our boss. We assume that we can go around gossiping and slandering and that it won't break down the fabric of our relationships. We assume that we can yell at our children all the time and they won't develop anger management issues. We assume that if we cheat on this test, that the rewards will outweigh the potential consequences. We assume that if we lie to our mommy and daddy, that it won't ultimately make it hard for them to trust us. Paul is saying, don't you get it? You always reap what you sow. You can't sow squash seeds and not expect to get squash. And I think the garden metaphor is so perfect here because the reason we so often make this error is because the bad seeds don't always bring that bad fruit right away. It's not immediate, right? Think about how the garden works. It takes a long time for the squash seeds to turn into full-grown squash. Much in the same way, when we sow seeds to the flesh, as Paul says, so often the corruption is not immediate. In fact, actually, the, the immediate result is often temporary pleasure. It actually feels good for a moment. I get a good grade on my test. Those images on the computer seem to satisfy some sort of deep longing. I get a promotion. You fill in the blank. But the point Paul is making is, don't be fooled. The destruction is coming. It always comes up. And I think it's important that we clarify something here in terms of the heart and character of God in this. It would be easy to hear these statements and think that Paul is describing this vengeful God who is looking down from heaven, ready to make you suffer whenever you mess up, whenever you sow seeds to the flesh. But that's actually a profound misread of what's being said here. And we know that because we've studied verses, excuse me, chapters 1 through 5. We know that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that God's love and favor is not based upon our performance, but rather on Christ. That's the good news that we've heard time and time again in chapters 1 through 5. So we know that we don't serve a vengeful, vindictive God. So what is Paul saying here? 
What Paul's saying is that God in his wisdom has ordained that our actions produce very organic, natural consequences. He has structured and ordered this world in that way. That if we make bad choices, we will reap bad results. It makes perfect sense, right? And yet when we take a step back and we look at the choices that we often make, we begin to realize just how delusional we are. Just like the person who plants squash seeds in hope, hopes that they're going to harvest grapes. The warning is that the seeds sown to the flesh, seeds of sin, always yield destruction. Maybe not today, because that's not how the garden works, but eventually that corruption is going to come up. And so Paul is pleading with us, be careful, be careful what you sow. Which leads us to the second part of our text, the charge. We have this warning to be careful about sowing to the flesh because the corruption will come if we do. But now Paul flips the coin and he charges us to sow a different kind of seed. Beginning in the second half of verse 8, he says, But to the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Pretty simple, right? Sow good seeds and you reap a good harvest. Sow to the Spirit and the harvest will be eternal life. But what does that mean? How do we sow to the Spirit, and what does it mean to harvest eternal life? Let's look at both of those one at a time. First, what does it look like to sow to the Spirit? Look again at our text. Paul's point here is that we have two choices in life. It's binary. It's one or the other. We can either sow to our own flesh or we can sow to God's Spirit. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the profound difference between the two. One is all about me, and the other is all about God. So to sow to the Spirit is to sow not out of selfish gain, but out of a desire of something else, something greater than me, something beyond me. Forgive my redundancy here, brothers and sisters, but there is a purposeful reason why this charge comes all the way in chapter 6. There's a reason why Paul is going here now, because only when chapters 1 through 4 have landed can we begin to understand what he's talking about, what this kind of sowing looks like. Remember the big problem in our text here in Galatia is that the church had begun to believe that God's love was contingent upon their law obedience, believing this lie that Our works can produce fruit, can produce God's love in our lives. And the problem with this lie is it always produces seeds of the flesh. When we believe that that our deeds are meant to manipulate God into giving us stuff, into giving us His blessing, everything that we do is selfishly motivated. It becomes all about me. We either try to do good deeds and make God love us, Or we say, forget you, God, and we try to satisfy ourselves, but it's always about me. But when we understand what Paul is saying in chapters 1 through 4, and realize that we don't have to perform for God, that we don't have to be obedient in order for God to love us because we have been adopted, because we are sons and daughters, heirs to the throne, when that truth lands, the gospel, it produces freedom. 
produces freedom. We are no longer bound by the law, but then we are invited to enjoy its riches. We are free to obey and experience God's blessings that come with that obedience. And so our sowing becomes not out of selfish ambition, but rather God-focused gratitude. There's a huge difference there. What's going on in our hearts? And when that happens, the Bible becomes not a burden, but our guide to the good life. It's a book that declares not do this or else, but rather a book that declares sow this kind of seed. Sow it here, and you will be blessed. You will experience profound joy. To play with Paul's garden analogy, the Bible becomes the ultimate farmer's almanac. It's our guide to produce good fruit. And in Christ, no longer do we sow seeds for survival's sake, because we desperately need that harvest, but out of a love of the land and a joy for the harvest. This is what the gospel produces in us. But then it begs the question, what ultimately is the joy of the harvest? Paul says here in chapter 6 that the harvest of sowing seeds to the Spirit is eternal life. Unfortunately, however, when we hear that phrase, many of us begin to think about angels floating around in the clouds, playing the harp. This picture of eternal life is so nebulous and out there. Don't get me wrong, there is certainly an eternal focus in mind here. It is true that if we sow to the Spirit, if we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, there will be an eternal reward. We will be with Jesus for eternity. But based on the context... I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. I think what Paul is saying here is that eternal life is much more similar to what Jesus once said. Eternal life is about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul is saying when we sow these seeds to the Spirit, the result is we usher in God's kingdom here on earth, and that that kingdom is the eternal life here and now. And the reward is that we, the community, reap the benefits of kingdom living. If you have your Bible open, I want to look back a few verses at the beginning of chapter 6 and see these examples that Paul gives of sowing spirit seed. Verse 1, he says, He's talking about sowing the seed of restoring a brother who is in sin. We sow seed in the lives of those who are struggling with sin, bringing them back to repentance and holiness. Verse 2 talks about bearing the burdens of one another. That's kingdom seed. We sow to the lives of other people. We carry their burdens. Verse 6 talks about giving generously to your pastors. My mic might have cut out. Verse 6 talks about giving generously to your pastors. These are examples of spirit seeds. They're not about you, right? They're about investing in something outside of you. About investing in the community, bringing the kingdom to earth. And that kingdom is the eternal life that we get to taste right now. 
Sounds all well and good, right? But there's a problem. For most of us, we know all this to be true. It's, it's common sense, right? If we sow bad seeds, we will reap a bad harvest. And we know full well that the good seeds will produce a good harvest. But for some reason, when we look back on our lives, it appears as though we're not sowing much at all. What happened? Most of us would say we got busy. That's the thing we like to say, right? Life got too full, and now we're just trying to make it. But Paul says the problem is not that we got busy, but rather that we got weary. He says we got weary, we got tired. Many of us probably can remember the days of our youth when we were full of passion and fire. There was no mountain too high, no valley too low. We were sowing machines, passionate about sowing seed. But over time, we got weary, we got discouraged. And as a result, we began to simply drift through life. I don't know about you, but I feel that. Without any real purpose or passion, just trying to make it through another day. And for those of you who were at the panel on Wednesday, you probably felt this. We had leaders from all over the city talking about all the huge problems that our city faces. Whether it be affordable housing, educational disparity, criminal justice corruption, the explosion of opioid addiction, and on and on and on. And it was hard not to get discouraged, to feel weary, overwhelmed. And yet the good news for us who are aware of this brokenness that's around us and inside us is that Paul understands this kind of discouragement. He understands your weariness. He knows how much the Galatians have been struggling and how tempting it would have been for them to give up. He knows how much you and I have been struggling and how many of us have already given up. And so Paul leaves us with this powerful phrase. Verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. My children are in preschool, and one of the mandatory craft assignments for a preschool classroom is a flower pot. If you've had kids in preschool, you have experienced that day where they come home with a flower pot, clay pot that's been painted on, it's full of dirt, And every year that this happens, there's this initial excitement that comes with this clay pot. It's almost uncontainable. And every few minutes, my children scurry over to their pot to see if the seed has sprouted. And my wife and I have to continually remind them that the harvest takes time. A long time. And if they want to see the harvest, if they want to see the beautiful flowers, they have to be patient. They have to take special care of the little seed until it reaches maturity. And it's easy to judge the attitudes of my children as foolish, as naive. But aren't we just the exact exact same way? We've become so conditioned to immediate results, to instant gratification. And as a result of our conditioning, we are so often like my kids with their clay pot. We get all excited on the front end, but then we allow that excitement to wane so quickly because it takes too much time and too much work. 
The difference for you and I, for those who call upon the name of the Lord, is that we have a promise before us. And you can ask any farmer out there, this promise is not normal. No farmer has ever planted seeds and been guaranteed a good harvest. That's crazy. And yet God gives us, his children, this promise that if we sow, if we do not grow weary of doing good, he guarantees by his power that we will reap the harvest. At the end of our time on Wednesday, each of the panelists gave a charge to us, the church. And it was as if they had all been spending their quiet time in Galatians 6 that morning. Because they were right here where we are. And the message was loud and clear that the work that's needed to be done in our city is long and hard and painful and exhausting and frustrating. It's crockpot cooking, not microwave cooking. It takes time and effort. But each of the panelists, their resounding charge was do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. A charge that was verified by their life's work. That's what they were about. Do not grow weary. They charged us to find something that Daniel said earlier that makes you angry and sow some seeds. Find a young boy or a girl to mentor. Adjust this issue that keeps you up at night. Find a coworker that's hurting or lonely. The applications are endless. Find something. Knowing that, as Scott Harmon so eloquently stated, we can't fix it all. We can't solve it all. It's bigger than us. But what we can do is we can counteract our drifting by making a plan. A plan that we can achieve. Something tangible that we can get involved in. Some small investment that you can make. And then you roll up your sleeves and you get your hands dirty. And we sow seeds to the Spirit and we reap eternal life. We commit to the long haul, clinging to the promise that if we do not grow weary, we will reap a harvest. That with God's help, we can usher in His kingdom here on earth a little bit more. Church, let's sow some seeds. Knowing that if we do not give up, our lives and our city will be blessed. Amen? Father, I love that uh, this text really needs no application because you've made us each unique, each different. We all have different passions and desires and things that keep us up at night, things that bother us, things in our own lives and things in our community. Father, what a gift that we don't have to sow seeds out of survival that we don't have to do these good deeds in order to earn your favor. But rooted in the gospel and what we've been talking about for the past few months, we are your children and now we've been invited to go and garden, to plant seeds because we love to garden and we're excited about the harvest. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, many of us who are just drifting. Me, I, I confess, so many just making it through another day. Give us focus. Give us passion. Help us to see what way we can get us, get involved. And then give us the courage to roll up our sleeves and 
put our hands in the dirt. God, I pray that we would cling to this promise that you say in your word that's true. That by your power, by your might, we will reap that harvest. Your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we do each week, we now come...